Welcome to The Dr. Medic, everyone, where I will do my best to bridge the gap between research and practice and the world of helicopter EMS and all of paramedicine. Catch the full effect of these podcasts with all the visuals over on YouTube, but for now, let's get started. We have a medical helicopter dispatched from inland France to the beautiful beach on the west coast to pick up a seriously injured patient. While on final approach to land, the pilot notices a paraglider off to the right side of the helicopter, but he chooses to continue his approach anyway. Moments after passing the paraglider, the paraglider's wing collapses, causing him to suddenly fall nearly 60 feet to the ground. What caused him to fall, and did the helicopter even play a role in him falling? And what in the world is wake turbulence? All of this coming up on this episode of The Dr. Medic. This story came to me from a viewer and takes us to the other side of the pond in beautiful France and took place on May 11th, 2019. Man, I absolutely love France. I recently visited the French Riviera, I scored some Formula One tickets to Monaco, that was awesome, and then I even decided to get married in Paris. What a beautiful country. But the French EMS system is quite different from the system here in the States, and that includes their helicopter EMS, otherwise known as HEMS, and their HEMS systems. Much of the world's EMS systems operate under a format that we call the Anglo-American system. And in this system, you know, paramedics usually respond to emergencies out in the field, either by helicopter or ambulance. They assess and they treat their patients and then transport them to a hospital where a physician then finalizes their treatment. But there are also countries out there that operate under a system called the Franco-German system, where physicians are the ones who respond out to the patients instead. These physicians are then able to provide pretty in-depth treatment, and then they actually leave the patient at the scene or in their home instead of having them come to the hospital. In cases where people are having heart attacks or strokes or major trauma, the physician, who's usually accompanied by a paramedic or a nurse, then transport the patient back to the hospital. My French is terrible, so I'm not going to try to say it in French, but the SAMU stands for, translated to English, Urgent Medical Aid Service, and is basically the name for the government-run EMS system in all of France. Each SAMU has a number of ambulances and even air ambulances, such as the one in this incident. These SAMU air ambulances are staffed quite differently than the medical helicopters here in the States. And as I've mentioned in other videos, most, but not all EMS helicopters in the States are staffed with a single pilot, a flight paramedic, and a flight nurse. But in the Franco-German system used in France, their helicopters, specifically the SAMU helicopters, are staffed with one pilot, a technical crew member, a physician, and a nurse. And on this flight, the doctor and the nurse were both seated in the back of the aircraft while the TCM sat in the front left seat. This technical crew member, or TCM, is actually regulated by European Union law and states that a TCM is to assist the pilot in avoiding collisions with other aircraft or obstacles by reporting the presence of an aircraft on a converging track and any obstacles that may interfere with the helicopter's flight path. The TCM is also there to help select landing sites, to help detect obstacles during the approach and takeoff phases, and by giving the pilot the earliest possible warning to any type of danger. 
Now, the pilot in this incident was a 48-year-old male who held a commercial pilot's license since June 29th of 2011. He had a total of 4,783 hours of flight time with 3,200 of those as captain and 247 hours on this aircraft type. He was a very experienced pilot who had 230 EMS missions under his belt during his career. He only worked at SAMU for seven days out of each month with the rest of his time spent working as a sales manager for the EMA or European military aviation. Now, the TCM had a little over 500 working hours on helicopters, but normally did not work at this base. His normal base was at SAMU 22, but he had been filling in for open slots at this base for the past couple of shifts. The helicopter was an awesome Airbus Eurocopter EC-135 Model T2 and was operated by Babcock MCS France and was equipped with a HeliSafe system recording the flight path, attitudes, and even some engine parameters. But we also have ourselves a paraglider pilot in this incident. Training and experience records were not available, but we do know that this pilot did belong to the French Federation of Free Flight, which works to regulate flights for paragliders, hang gliders, hot air ballooners, and any other type of lightweight aircraft. Now, this beautiful beach on the west coast of France was known as the Blanc Sablon Beach and was a well-known destination for paragliders, mostly due to its beautiful scenery, but also due to its flat-facing cliffs not too far from the waterline. On this particular afternoon, several other paragliders had been slope soaring over the Blanc Sablon's beach, but at around 1,500 hours, there was only one paraglider still left flying. Now, right around that time, and completely unrelated to the paragliders, someone on the beach was injured. A French first aid team made their way to the patient and determined that the patient ultimately needed to be treated or transported by a flight crew, and a request for the medical helicopter was then made. Later, it was actually determined that the patient really only needed airlift to get up off of the beach and up to a nearby parking lot where an ambulance was waiting to take the patient to the hospital. On that day, at 1510 hours, the flight crew received their flight request and departed their base at 1513 hours with the TCM, a flight doctor, and a flight nurse. It took them just eight minutes to arrive in the area, and they flew in from the southeastern part of the Ria de Conque. Did I say that right? The weather on this day was absolutely beautiful with clear visibility and winds out of the northwest at 15 knots. Now, the pilot would normally have done a reconnaissance flight, usually flying a full 360 degrees over their scene, especially if it is an unimproved scene such as landing on a beach, in order to look out for obstructions such as power lines, people, vehicles, birds, whatever. But in this case, for some reason, he chose to not do the recon flight and immediately lined up the aircraft for a northerly approach to the beach. Now, like I said, this beach does have cliffs. I mean, they're not that big, but they are cliffs, and they look to be anywhere from 30 to 75 feet tall. Now, as the pilot is making his right-hand turn and is starting his northerly approach, he sees a group of kite surfers in the water off to his left. Then, as he is descending just above the cliffs, he sees the paraglider off to his right. The paraglider was on a parallel path as the helicopter and looked to be a bit lower than the helicopter as well. The pilot decided to not abort his descent as he later stated that he felt that he was worried that the rotor wash would disturb the flight of the paraglider. At this point, the pilot asks the TCM to monitor the left side of the aircraft while he watches the paraglider, and once the paraglider was further behind the pilot and out of his sight, he asked the doctor and the nurse to keep an eye on him. There were many witnesses on the ground that were watching this, and some of them even took some pictures. 
The witnesses stated that a few seconds after the helicopter and paraglider had gone past each other, these witnesses saw the wing of the paraglider close like a book, and the paraglider then fell to the ground. Sadly, the paraglider died from his injuries. So what happened here? Did the helicopter cause the paraglider to crash? Was it the rotor wash of the helicopter? Or did the paraglider make some type of mistake? Let's take a deeper look. But let's first look at how these paragliders work. This particular paraglider was a Category B Spiraline EZ-24. This is a flexible wing made of strong, lightweight fabric. And these wings are composed of numerous cells and air surges into these cells, mainly under the negative pressure on the upper surface, and gives the wing its shape by inflating the wing. And basically, the pressure in the wing determines the rigidity of the wing. And this wing is then shaped like any other airplane wing, and the more air that rushes over the wing will give it some lift. But there is no natural form of propulsion, so eventually, like any glider, the wing will descend. Paragliders such as this can typically have a descent rate of about 5 or 6 or 7 to 1. And to put that into perspective, hang gliders can get closer to 10 or 20 to 1, while super airplane glider wings can get almost 50 to 1. And while there isn't any form of propulsion on these paragliders, they can end up staying in the air for quite a long time if they are slope soaring. Now, slope soaring is basically when a paraglider is taking advantage of the incoming wind that is hitting a cliff and rising quite quickly. Remember that the winds on this day were 15 knots and out of the northwest, which would have been perfect conditions for slope soaring in this area. In these conditions, the paraglider can keep getting extra lift from the rising winds that are hitting against the cliff, but they must stay very close to the cliff in order to continue taking advantage of those rising winds. Now, because the paraglider was below the level of the tops of the cliffs and flying parallel, he really didn't have anywhere to go because if he would have turned towards the water to descend, he most likely would have flown directly underneath the helicopter or maybe even into the helicopter, but probably under the helicopter where the rotor wash certainly would have affected him. But either way, let's keep these points and we're going to come back to them. Now, I mentioned that the rotor wash was a concern of the helicopter pilot while he was descending. He correctly assumed that if he was to abandon his approach, he may end up flying directly over the paraglider, which would end up causing catastrophic, strong downward rush of air directly on top of him. But the pilot assumed that since he was far enough to the side of the paraglider, that his pathway and rotor wash would not affect the paraglider. Well, aircraft also create another condition known as a wake vortex or wake turbulence. They both mean the same thing. Now, this is a phenomenon where air moves from a low-pressure area to a high-pressure area right at the tips of the airfoil, which would be at the end of the wings on an airplane, but also at the end of the main rotor blade tips of a helicopter if and when the helicopter is moving forward. You see, helicopters create lift and movement in all kinds of different ways. One way is that their blades actually push the air down or push it slightly to the side or slightly to the front or slightly to the rear. But another way they move air is by creating lift due to the forward movement of the helicopter and therefore the helicopter blade against the air. So while a helicopter is in forward flight, not only are the main rotor blades propelling the aircraft forward, they are also creating lift just as an airplane's wings would. But while a helicopter is only in a hover, there would be no wake turbulence as there would be no airfoil and no forward motion creating air movement over the rotor blades. 
Now, wake vortex is very well known with airplanes as it has been shown many times that the wake vortex of a bigger aircraft can affect the flight of a smaller aircraft who follows in its path. You see, once the wake vortex is created by an aircraft, it can maintain its turbulence and the so-called shape of it for several minutes. This is actually why when jetliners announce themselves to air traffic controllers that they may identify themselves as, quote, heavy, so that the tower knows that they are a bigger airliner and the air traffic controller or tower controller can allow a longer time to wait to land or take off for the next aircraft. This allows the wake vortex to dissipate before a smaller aircraft might take off and fly through it. This wake vortex has contributed to many incidents in the past, including the terrible American Airlines Flight 587 crash that happened just two months after 9-11 over Queens, New York, and killed over 260 people on the air and five people on the ground. So what was it that caused the paraglider's wing to collapse, causing him to eventually fall to his death? Was it the rotor wash, or was it the wake turbulence? Or was it just a coincidence? Is wake turbulence from helicopter even a serious thing? I mean, I know it would be from a 747 jumbo jet, but a tiny little EC-135? Well, here's where science comes into play. There actually have been published studies looking at this very question, with one study finding the turbulence level in the vortices trailed behind a rotor should be larger than in the vortices trailed behind airplanes, even in the landing approach configuration. And another one even found that the HH-53 helicopter at 38,000 pounds is not a, quote, heavy configuration according to the FAA separation criteria, but the strength of the vertical wake that it trails while flying at 60 knots is similar to that behind a KC-135 or Boeing 707 in a landing and approach. <laughs> so basically, the science shows that moving at just 60 knots, an HH-53, which yes, I understand is a bigger helicopter, can create a wake vortex on par with a KC-135 air refueler. These are stunning results, and surely every helicopter pilot knows about these, right? Well, while the helicopter community is aware of downwash and rotor wash, as testified by the information in flight manuals, the hazard caused by wake vortex seems to be little known and not routinely taken into account, at least not in France. The BEA, who completed this report and is the French equivalent to the U.S.'s NTSB, stated that while taking the initiative during a meeting with professional pilots and French rotorcraft operators, organized after this accident to question the participants to find out who within this community took into account wake vortex. And it appeared from this consultation that 90% of them did not take it into account. Some of them considered that it was not to be taken into account by those who were going to create the wake vortex, but by those who had to avoid it. This means that by this anecdotal discussion that the BEA had with many French pilots that most of them did not take wake turbulence into account at all, and those that did more often believed that it was more the responsibility of those that need to avoid the vortex rather than those who, who actually created it. So how do we know for sure? Well, as with a lot of recent accidents across the world, they were able to do a full recreation of this incident and run simulations to determine almost exactly what happened. There was an entire simulation recreated between Airbus, who was the maker of the helicopter, and IYation, who is a software company that was produced by combining the results obtained from the helicopter's flight tracking data recorder, as well as all of the witness photographs and witness testimony. It confirmed that the helicopter's wake vortex had in fact reached the paraglider pilot. 
The image that they made shows that the wake vortex behind the main rotor, it shows that the wind pushed the generated turbulence towards the cliff and notably towards the point where the paraglider pilot actually fell. This in turn most likely caused the paraglider's wing to immediately collapse, causing him to fall to his death. Now, the BEA does not seem to like to issue actual probable causes for accidents like the NTSB does, but rather they cite the facts of the case and then list out their recommendations to prevent such an incident from reoccurring. And in this case, the BEA cites that there is a documented danger with wake vortex from helicopters, even light helicopters such as the EC-135. They also cited that there is an overall lack of knowledge by the aviation community as a whole concerning the wake vortex associated with helicopter flights. And finally, they recommend that aviation agencies, along with helicopter manufacturers, assess the orders of magnitude of the wake vortices generated by a helicopter in comparison with an airplane of equivalent weight and share this information to raise awareness in the aviation community. So what other lessons can be learned here? Well, remember that the pilot chose to not do a reconnaissance flight. This certainly seemed to play a bigger role in this incident than the report seemed to discuss. Now, the helicopter's operator, Babcock, says that the pilot in charge is the one who's responsible for carrying out a reconnaissance flight, and their operations manual even states that the landing site reconnaissance enables the captain to take into account all the aerological and environmental factors in order to determine the best landing and takeoff paths. And to do this recon flight, the pilot flies 360 degrees around the landing area at a height of about three to 500 feet and must take into account the presence of other aircraft, birds, equipment, or persons, and it also helps to determine wind direction to ensure the best approach and takeoff path. Now, this recon flight was not done, and I can only imagine that there would be no way that this pilot would have chosen to land where he did or take that approach pathway had he done a recon flight and seen the paraglider there next to that cliff. Likewise, communication from the ground providers would have also helped. In this case, the ground providers only had their handheld units, and for one reason or another, they were unable to make verbal contact with the SAMU helicopter prior to them landing. And this prevented the ground crew from being able to provide the pilot with landing zone information such as wind direction, obstacles, and paragliders. It is quite normal in a landing zone such as this to see the helicopter arrive and then watch it as it does a recon flight, but in this case, several witnesses reported that the helicopter's arrival seemed very sudden and abrupt as it quickly appeared over the cliffs and was immediately on final approach to land. This left them with very little time or opportunity to warn the paraglider or the pilot by waving their hands or jumping around or using any other visual signals. Now, since this accident, measures were taken by the operator to help mitigate events like this in the future. They included that during all recurrent training for both pilots and the medical crew, that they would be educated on helicopter wake vortices, site reconnaissance, and the specific lessons that were learned from this accident. Likewise, Babcock revised its operations manual with respect to the site reconnaissance and more particularly the air reconnaissance and the taking into account of the possible presence of paraglider pilots. Now, I can certainly tell you that as a med crew on an EMS helicopter, I was obviously fully aware of the effects of rotor wash in respect to landing at these LZs, but until researching this very incident, I had absolutely no clue that a helicopter could create a wake vortex, let alone one on par with a KC-135, and that it could have such an effect on local obstacles, especially paragliders, when landing. 
Many of you are pilots and medical crew members, and I'm very, very curious, so please let me know in the comments below if wake vortices were ever discussed as a part of your HEMS training, or if it is something that is emphasized during your recurrent training where you work. Now, this is a tragic incident where this paraglider lost his life, but it certainly sounds like it led to increased awareness with flight crews in France. It certainly did for me, and I hope it did for you as well. If you have an incident like this that you want me to check out, please write it in the comments below and I will start my research and check it out. As always, cheers to you all and I do hope that everyone has a beautiful rest of your day.